Welcome to Accounting High. They dropped us off in the back of Epcot on a hot summer day, and they took us into these back secret gates, you know. They gave us these special pads, tablets, and they gave us 15 minutes to find as many of their employees going above and beyond their job descriptions we could find. And so we look back at them like they were nuts, you know, we were like, but they were so confident that we could. And, and of course we all did because of purpose. And on the bus back, it was story after story after story of people doing these amazing things above and beyond their job description. So they wouldn't tell us how they pull it off. Anybody who's been to Disney knows the reality I'm talking about. But then they told us when they got back that Disney's purpose statement is we create happiness. So everybody goes to work understanding that primarily the goal of every person working at Disney World is to be on purpose. And they're allowed to be off task anytime they want as long as they're on purpose. please. Welcome to Accounting High. It's freshman year at a brand new school. Here, we have no rules in place as we're on a mission to set our own traditions. So hang tight and learn with us as we grow. At Accounting High, you can expect to gain knowledge in a completely different way than what you may be used to with some fun and oftentimes colorful conversations involving some of the best teachers in the accounting industry. Whether you loved high school or you hated it, here's your chance to be a part of an unforgettable experience redone. While you're here, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may be listening to us right now so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And feel free to leave us a five-star review letting us know how the school year is treating you. In addition, share this episode on social media tagging us at Accounting High. So sit back, relax and open your mind because class is in session. I repeat, may I have your attention please? This is another public service announcement brought to you in part by Accounting High. The views and events expressed here are of the next generation of accounting and tech professionals leading this space. The events and suggestions are not to be taken lightly. Children should not partake in the listening of this podcast. Anything else? Yeah. So without further ado, introducing the star of our show. Scotty and Joe Woodard. We're going to have a problem here. Oh, this is exciting. I got a very special guest today. Last time I had a guest on that I had written a rap for, it was David Barrett. And it was the Expensify rap. And that was a big deal. I just recorded the video for that. And that's where we met at Expensicon in Italy. We both just got back from that. Joe, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being at Accounting High today. I appreciate you having me, Scotty. Yeah. So, as I said, I, I mentioned that I made a rap for you. I don't know, like, as far as any, any of our listeners are concerned, I'm going to spoil the surprise <laughs> that I'm going to be performing this rap at the next Scaling New Heights, I'm calling the rap Soar the Sky. I think I'm calling it Soar the Sky. I don't not quite know the, the title yet, but Soar the Sky fits 
It's a parody of Kanye's Touch the Sky, and we're going to open up the conference with this rap. It's going to be dope. It's going to be fantastic, and you're going to be at the Ferrara Theater. The acoustics are amazing. You've got this great stage. It'll feel like you're on Broadway. You're going to soar the sky, get up off the floor and start to fly. You'll scale new heights with an OKR and a counting high. You're going to soar the sky, get up off the floor and start to fly. You'll scale new heights, Woodard OKR and accounting high. Accountants and bookkeepers still watching the clock. Woodard schooling you with his new workshops. Feet on the street, St. Louis peep the sore theme. Attendees will flock. Now let's go. Check the presentation. Cutting edge education, sparking innovation. Scope creep friction, shaking foundation. Process improvement, increased production. With automation and AI, no flapping wings, you'll be soaring high. At scaling new heights, you'll touch the sky. Combine new tools to help your practice shine. Joe in his prime, founded in 09. Three cheers, 14 years, and tears he's cried. A keynote legend, Joe devotee, super fans at Evi's obsession. We'll scale new heights, Woodard OKR, and accounting high. Accounting high, STL, soar the sky. Get up off the floor and start to fly. We'll scale new heights, Woodard OKR, and accounting high. We're gonna fly, baby. New heights, scaling. 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 New heights, uh, counting high, uh, counting high, uh, counting high, uh, counting high, accounting high. Keep it soaring. And I go by the name of OKR. That's OK Rapper. Yeah. Feels good to be Joe, baby. Feels good to be Joe. I'm so nervous, but this episode's not about the rap, not about me. We're going to talk about Joe. You're pretty inspirational, man. This is, you've been on a journey. I, I'm, I'm learning so much through writing the rap and through, through everything, being in the profession. You've been at this for 14 years or i mean scaling new heights is 14 years just tell me first before all that how did you get started in accounting yeah well accounting found me not the other way around and i know a lot of people you know say that had that same experience but uh, i did not think this was going to be the way i was going to go I, I have a classical greek bachelor's degree i thought i was going to be a philosophy professor and you know to do that you need to know your greek and so but you know life took an interesting twist i needed a job i got a job at a cpa firm working on their administrative staff they hired me to be part of the professional group trained me sent me to uno to studying study accounting at the graduate level and the rest is history so I stumbled into the profession. So this was post-university that you got into accounting. I like to go back as far as high school sometimes because it's accounting high. In high school, you had no intention of being an accountant at all. None um, whatsoever. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have intention on being a, a philosophy professor either. I just... I thought I wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer like everybody else, you know, but. Oh, well, I mean, like everybody else, it's not too many doctors and lawyers. There are a lot. But classical Greek philosophy was just like a fill-in major. You were just interested in it? No, I really was going to go that direction. I, I was fascinated by it. And the philosophy, as well as all other kinds of thought of antiquity, religions, ancient religions, fascinated me. So, and all, all of the archaeology that went with it. But again, Life had another course for me, and I haven't looked back since I found accounting. It's amazing. Well, I'm I'm just now considering myself as like a philosopher because 
ask a lot of questions and just the the way that I've you know I'm really interested in that stuff now at this stage in life I would love to see how you've applied that to everything else that you're doing but let's let's keep going with the journey so you started the CPA firm they they got you trained up you became an accountant what's next yeah what just to that? just to make sure we're 100% clear with your audience I did not become a CPA but I did enter into the profession and studied at the graduate level at UNO but the reason I didn't sit for the CPA exam is because I, I fell in love with accounting technology. QuickBooks mm. was the sort of gateway drug, if you will, to bring me into that universe. And then the universe continued to expand and expand as the desktop solution began to integrate with more and more apps and then eventually the cloud solutions. And that's ultimately what gave birth to the conference. Wow. Okay. So falling in love with tech. And I think that's that's an interesting um path to go on, especially in accounting, especially at that stage too, around what, what year was this or when, when was this? Quick yeah. So I began to take the technology path around the year 2000, 1999, okay. right in there, though I started with QuickBooks in the mid nineties. And then this guy named Doug Sleater, which a lot of your audience may know, hired me to be his uh, vice president of education. And I you know, kind of lived on airplanes for a little while. And then after I finished working with Doug and left him, I became a contractor for Intuit. And so did that for many years while I had my own bookkeeping and QuickBooks consulting practice. And then the conference. Now, was the consulting for business owners? Or yes. Or was it? Okay. Yes. I didn't start working with accountants peer-to-peer -peer until around, well, unless you count the Intuit days. They were training yeah. accountants. But it was really when I launched the show. That accounts oh, wow. became yeah well, in two thousand nine. What was the um, what was the show? What was the intention of launching that? Yeah, originally it was because there was a vacuum in the space that was created by when SleaterCon and back then it went by a little different name when it diversified and began to be product agnostic on the GL side, and they removed a lot of the QuickBooks training as a result. It was a good move for Doug. I applaud his bravery there, his courage, and then ultimately it led to become to, independent. Yeah, going independent, because my story actually has the same chapter just many years later. But when he did go independent and when he did remove a lot of the QuickBooks training and there was no QuickBooks Connect, that wasn't until 2014, there was a vacuum in the space. And so I saw a market opportunity and inserted myself right in there with a QuickBooks-centric show, a 100% QuickBooks-centric show. And... That actually gave birth to QuickBooks Connect. Yeah, I was really? into it executives using my show to proof out the model. And then they came to me and said, Joe, let's be sister shows, which was very relational. And they put me on a contract to co-produce the first two QuickBooks Connect conferences. That was 2014, 2015. Oh, wow. That's dope. So the two biggest conferences in our space, at least in the, in the States, are sort of the same birth story. Yeah, that that yeah, scaling new heights is yeah. I mean, obviously it was into its might that created it. Yeah. But they I validated the model for them is the best way to phrase it. And scaling new heights, did it start after QuickBooks Connect? No, before. Two thousand nine. Oh, it was before. Okay. Yeah, two thousand nine yeah. to two thousand thirteen it existed as the really the only QuickBooks centric show, you know, in the purely QuickBooks centric show in the United States. And then we coexisted as sister shows. QuickBooks Connect and I all the way up until 2021 when I went in product agnostic, all GL apps welcome. 
And I've been that way now. This will be my third year I've been like that. Okay. Well, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's talk <laughs> about the first ever Scaling New Heights. So let's go yeah. back to 2009. Back when, and, and in the rap, I say Joe in his prime back in 2009. So I had a lot like, of hair back then. So the prime, <laughs> the, yeah, the prime was something else. Did you have a lot? I mean, I've I been did. growing my hair out. My hair is like almost at shoulder length at this point. Not quite there. But it wasn't long, long, was it? It, well, it was it, it was actually a little long, kind oh, of yeah. touched the collar, but it was a lot more on the top. And all right, all right. <laughs> so. yeah, well, I might be I, I might be in your boat at some point in the future. Yeah. Right now, I'm trying to ride it out as long as I can. So, tell me about the first years of doing that. Like some of your fears or some of your um, like what? How did that go? How did that first year go? For well, in that first year, I was too dumb to be afraid. I just ah, you were the peak of Mount Stupid. I was, I was, yeah, I'm, I was just the visionary, and like all things are going to work out, and super enthusiast, and uh, what boy, what I didn't know, right? But I'll tell you what, what the success of the show was was just the co- the community that I had invested in and invested back in me, the friends I had built, friendships I had built over the contract with Intuit. But there's also something else that was really powerful that happened that year. That was the first year that Intuit launched the QuickBooks Desktop Advanced Pro Advisor Certification. And I helped write that certification. So I asked Intuit, can we train to it at the show? So they said yes. And it was an interesting certification, Scotty, back in the day, because you didn't have to take a test. You just had to it was like a certification attendance thing. You had to go through a certain amount of training and you were deemed advanced certified, no test. I got that. Yeah. Test. And then I the test it. came yeah. later. So in 2008, you could get certified just by attending the, the Intuit tour. But in 2009, you had to take a test and the test was notoriously hard. So they, that, that scared everybody to death. And, and they came, a lot of people came to the show in order to prepare to take that test. Oh wow! Just to become certified, and there was a there was a nice badge that you would get with the certification. You'd be on the directory, and uh, there yeah. was a lot of benefits for that. I remember I got certified for that, and it lasted a while. But I think it lapsed, obviously, yeah. <laughs> after a certain point. Um, that really made you hold to it, yeah. But that sure, was yeah. that gave me a big shot in the arm, you know. So I have a lot a lot of that I have into it to thank for. Yeah. So I guess you know now Woodard is an empire. You've got a lot of different things going on at the beginning what was what was the goal what did you want to what was your purpose to Um, be doing this yeah so the the goal originally was a completely different vision originally i wanted to i wanted more quickbooks pro advisors to embrace the mid-market so a lot of people don't know this but originally scaling new heights meant scale into the mid-market new you know and and quickbooks enterprise was at its heyday back then the desktop app we were doing a lot of work with with mid market companies and emerging companies. Define mid market. Yeah, for the QuickBooks world, mid market would be five million to fifty million. So we were okay. doing a lot of work in that space. Thank you for the, helping me with the clarification. It means different things to different people, but a lot of pro advisors were hovering around still in the mom and pop space, and I was trying to help them to to elevate upward into QuickBooks Enterprise Solutions. But very quickly, that morphed into a general pro advisor audience. Really, by the time we held the conference it had morphed beyond that and had become because of the advanced cert test, it had become a general pro advisor audience. And then it just stayed that way and scaling new heights. I, it was a s- simple tweak. I just tweaked it to 
hey, scale the new heights in your practice. Nice broad scale theme. your practice. Yeah, pervasive yeah. theme. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I love the tie-in, the highs, the heights, and accounting high, because that's kind of what I was going for. I was going for a few different entendres there or, or puns in my high reference, but I've, I've landed on the high school. So the Scaling New Heights kind of started as a way to scale the QuickBooks Pro Advisors audiences to grow into larger client base. Yeah, which when, we still help with, but now it's about you becoming a more a thriving practice. That's yeah, what scaling yeah. means. And then there you go. There's another thrive word, and that's another um, another person in the space with thrival. But um, yeah, with thrival. Yeah, I like Jason. I used to, and I and I used to get those confused too. I used to get scaling new heights, thrival confused, just from as an outsider. Obviously, there's some major differences. So, but in the early stages, it was still sort of an into it bubble that you were in. I'd say because for me personally, like when I started as a practice owner, the bubble I was in was zero because mm-hmm. it was around the cloud times, and I ended up in that bubble. And and to for better or worse, that's an entirely different audience, and and but it's smaller. And it's a smaller group of firm owners that adopted the cloud early, early stages. I think QuickBooks in that in those early stages around that time, you know, you were still doing desktop certifications and then zero comes out. Tell me how you adopted because the QuickBooks online at first was notoriously. Not yeah, it's not good. Yeah. And so we that there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there because it was around the year 2013 14 15 when all of this was mm-hmm. taking place right and around that time quickbooks desktop was still king as far as market traction some four and a half million users or something approaching five million users of quickbooks desktop in the u.s but into it was at war in, in you know trying to keep zero on the beachhead and uh, after zero had already made so many gains internationally, and it and so they had to accelerate their QBO developmental path, but they also circled a lot of wagons. So instead of and I, I had many conversations with Rod Drury sitting at the zero office when they were over by you know the bay in, in San Francisco downtown, and we were talking about what we might want to do or not do, but. You know, into it just really doubled down their support of the show, and they leaned into the accounting community heavily because they, they like any corporation, they wanted to protect you know their customers and their partners from any disruption. But the most important thing they did is they they did an amazing internal disruption. It actually got Brad Smith on the the cover of Fortune magazine. They did an internal disruption rather than letting zero disrupt them from outside and this path, this product development path that he did with QBO was really what happened with the zero thing. Everybody likes to dissect zero, made this mistake, zero made that mistake. Intuit just just really, they did a hurry up on it and they got QBO to where it needed to be. While, you'll probably know some of this, they they had their own defensive arm to protect them from zero in and how much QBD is beloved, QuickBooks Desktop is beloved. Yeah. I mean, even as we sit here today, Scotty, there are, best I can estimate, a little over 3 million QuickBooks Desktop users. So, and we're in the year 2023. And I think that's more than zero users altogether. <laughs> it's US. crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So, they, they, that, to, the, to the loyalty to the QuickBooks Desktop combined with their product development on QBO. That's the reason Quick Intuit's still king of the U.S. 
but of course I was right in the middle of all that, right? Sure. And it was funny that only after all of that died down, did I tell you what really caused it? It wasn't the dying down of it. What caused me to make the show independent, there were two factors. One was the return of QuickBooks Connect because it, there's a redundancy in the market. Sister shows means redundant shows, right? And yeah, I wanted to have sure. a unique and differentiated product. That's a that's a key branding philosophy. And then the the other was the fact that account techs vacated the US and mm. they were the independent product agnostic show. So I, if you remember, I started scaling new heights in a vacuum in 2009, and now I'm at a vacuum here with account techs withdrawing from the US. And I see that the vacuum is just in the opposite place. Is there a product agnostic show? AICPA Engage is, it's a great show. Yeah. And they're actually the largest show in the US, but QuickBooks Connect is the second largest, we're the third. But uh, they're not an independent show in the sense that they're associated with AICPA. So if truly independent of all organiza professional organizations, software companies just out there, there wasn't anything left. And so we came in to fill that vacuum. I think it's interesting you bring up Engage because I think they, their audience, or for the most part, a lot of their audience is in that mid-market and they serve that mid-market at least. From when I, whenever I go there, the people that can afford that and can afford to go to that event, it's usually the... and maybe it's going a little bit down market, but it's usually the larger firms. Yeah. I mean, it's, two, it's a $2,000 price tag, right? Yeah. yeah. It's high for a show. So yes, it tends to be the larger firms and I have large firms at scaling, but yeah. I typically draw their CAS practices, client accounting services practices. Mm, okay. Okay. And CAS wasn't a thing back in 2015 or 20, it was right up then, or it was bookkeeping, yeah. you know? And, and I think that's, also, your audience has always been in that space anyway. So it kind of just evolved or devolved, if, if we're going to talk about that. I mean, Cast doesn't even, you know, it's got a lot of different, got a lot of different names. And now we're on a 2.0. Are we on 3.0 already for Cast? Yeah, no, nah, 2.0 is where they're at, okay. uh, with the, according to CPA.com. But, you know, you make an interesting observation that the audience that, that was the smaller firm, non-credentialed space, uh, embraced okay. this cloud accounting model a little faster than the top 200 size firms in the country. But now that they're adopting it, calling it CAS, there's a convergence in the space of nature uh, of work, but not nature of firm. And that creates this these two different groups that have an am amazing central play field of top 200 sized accounting firms hanging out with sole practitioner and five and under non-credential bookkeeping practices. And they have a lot in common these days. As far as the product offering. Yeah. The, the way they do work clients. is very similar and the nature of their record keeping is very similar. And more and more the, the non-credential bookkeepers are starting to keep up with them on advisory too. So yeah, it's the non-credentialed and the credentialed are very similar for the CAS department. Well, this is really work. interesting, too, for the future of the profession, because we're talking about the sustainability of the license itself and the and is it necessary? We're questioning mm -hmm. that. We're questioning, do you need a CPA license to practice if a lot of these non-credentials are basically doing the same thing and maybe even better in some cases? Yeah, I met with a top 100 firm CEO at the Accounting Today show in San Diego. and We had this very conversation because he said, you know, well, what you know, because I had said that in the future of I projected the future of the client accounting services segment as my keynote. 
And I was yeah. talking about how more and more non-credentialed workers are going to be piling in to the whole of the firm, but especially into CAS. And I used the hospital comparison. And you heard me say this is Expensify too. When I was in the hospital for sports injury for three days, I saw the doctor for like 15 minutes over three days. But I saw a lot of LPNs and I saw a lot of RNs and the nurse practitioner came in much more often than the doctor. But I still felt served, right? And I knew that at the end of the day, the big decisions were being made by the person with the credentials, the highest credentials. Mm. So I think we're going to see more of the hospital approach. And I had the CEO of this firm, this top 50 firm, come up to me and say, but what about the audit practice? Because you have to be a CPA to do audit work. And I said, no, you don't. You just have to be a CPA to sign an audit report, right? right? So you can have a lot of non-credentialed workers in there. You just have to have a few doctors in there too. <laughs> like the doctor needs to sign the prescription. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting too, because I think that model in a lot of ways in the United States has been failing us, at least our med medical, you know, and I don't know how deep we want to go into that aspect of it because, you know, you see how it's working outside of the, outside of our insurance system and everything else. And it's all been perverted. Could that be parallel with, you've got the AICPA and other institutions that are creating like almost, I don't know. I mean, I think that the un, the unlicensed practitioners are freer to make changes. They're more nimble. They can do things more quickly than somebody who has a CPA, they're restricted. They can't change their name in some states because it's you have to have your last name as the name of your firm in some cases. Or yes, there's certain I know, restrictions that crazy? things you can market. There's certain things you could do as a licensed professional. And if you're not licensed, Yeah, in the state free. of Texas, you can't even say you're an accountant. Yeah. Yeah, unless so, you're a certified public one, yes. Right. So in some cases, an early stage, you know, somebody that's getting into the profession, they may see a clearer path to build a better business, more successful business, just by being non unlicensed. Do you then need to hire CPAs as hmm. part of your firm? And can you do it that way too? Yeah, I mean, that's a pathway, sure. Who says this firm has to be owned by a CPA to do CPA work? There's no law about that. But yeah. there are some restrictions as to what I can call myself if I'm, like you mentioned, if I'm the owner, it just gets a little tricky because I can't say that I'm an accounting firm in Texas unless I'm a CPA. I don't know how it works if you employ a CPA. I don't know the intricacies yeah. of the law. Well, uh, but then the remember, there's today? this EA thing too that's super powerful. So unless yeah. you're going to do audit reports, and I would advise against that unless you're a very large firm, then you can go the enrolled agent approach. And you can do all the full slate of tax services, and there's no credentialing required for CAS. I'm an EA. And yeah, we did perfect. an episode, the EA, our first debates at the debate teams for Accounting High was CPA versus the EA. And we just talked about the difference, and a lot of it comes down to the branding and the awareness and the market awareness. Not too many people even know what an EA is. Yes. And, and the thing is, it's a hard test. EAs are arguably the best tax preparers in the country. They can represent their clients just as a CPA can. It's a powerful designation, and it's a hard one to get, and it needs more respect. It really does. I'm not just saying that because I just learned today that you're one. I've said that for 
quite a while, you know. Yeah. <laughs> not well, no, no, no. I didn't even respect myself with the EA. I used to call myself an executive assistant as a joke. Like <laughs> clients would call me a CPA all the time, and it was I was just tired of correcting them. So I just, you know, I had CPAs that worked for me. But yeah, I mean, my, me and my whole management team are the EAs at the firm, and then all the operational, I mean, the people that are working with clients directly, a lot of them are CPAs. So it's just a unique structure. But you you mentioned before we got down this path of the of all the different credentials and everything. You mentioned a unique differentiated product. I like to talk about that because I I do things differently. I've always been unique, and I think creating your own lane and being unique is a path to freedom and also a path to make you know to choose your own future too and to do what you want to do. And that's that was you you saw that opportunity and you saw that vacuum and you ran toward it right but as you said to me when we first met you're not that unique among all accountants you're you're the typical accountant you're not doing anything <laughs> i'm that the stereotypical different. accountant exactly yeah, yeah, yeah very stereotypical so you know but you went toward that unique path and you you know you very successful in that so and the at those early stages what did you what did you do to differentiate differentiate yourself besides yeah. just being the only one in the space yeah well you're talking about with the show pieces yeah so sure. that that was you know the quick 100 quickbook centric event i basically became the pro advisor conference because into it didn't have one so that would be the answer there and then whenever a redundancy formed and you know and then reformed after covid i had to make a decision again to say well i'm no longer unique and differentiated so i looked for an, that other vacuum so uh, it, it, there's it's there's the market can dictate your differentiation because you're carving yourself to the market need. The other thing that drives differentiation is vision, mission, and purpose, and that's a mm. big deal for us. And they're not synonyms of each other. So our purpose is to empower business advisors with the vision to transform business. And every good vision statement has an implied so that. And so my so that is so, so that business owners and their employees can be work-life harmonized or synergized, right? Not consumed by by the business, which tends to happen in the small to medium-sized business world. They lose their lives. They lose themselves. They're stressed out all the time. And I would like all those people to be liberated from that. Mm. So that's the change I want to see in the world. And that, that transforms families, too so they can spend more time with their spouses and kids and, and loved ones. So I've got this big, hairy, audacious goal and this, this more altruistic thing that I'm seeking, and that's a form of differentiation, mm -hmm. and the rest is about market analysis. What's the big, hairy, audacious goal? Yeah, just transform those families. I mean, because you transform a business, you transform the families in it, and it goes all the way through. Well, how specific, and doesn't it have to be somewhat specific? the the goal like is there a number how many families you want it like is there so that's so you're just the right question because i i the seed of this vision statement was planted at the disney institute where i went to study vision mission and purpose Ooh, okay yes and i asked them a similar question and their answer is if you can complete the vision in your lifetime and, or if you could complete the vision by yourself in even five lifetimes, it's too small. It must be something bigger than you. It must be something you never actually accomplish. 
And that's how people confuse vision and mission. So think of, they said, think of vision as magnetic north. You know, until the GPS was invented, it's the most important destination on planet Earth, but no one went there unless they were trying to go on an excursion. But it nonetheless steered everybody else on the planet, guided them. So the mission, by contrast, is achievable, it's repeatable, and it's in service of the vision. So we educate, we coach, we provide resources, and we build professional communities of small business advisors so they can be transformative with small with, with these businesses. And hopefully it's a vision that will continue to endure past my lifetime. That's, that's the goal. That's the infinite game. It's the infinite game. Yes, to use Simon Sinek's wording. Yes, that's the infinite mm-hmm. game. That's Wasn't he infinite. the author of that? He was, yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah, that, that's great. We talked about that a lot. We had an episode dedicated just to that book. And then I also had Clayton Oates on who talks about infinite, in, infinite games a lot. And then purpose. So yes. going from vision, mission, purpose. And I like how you mentioned that they seem redundant because a lot of people use them interchangeably in the profession or just in business altogether. Purpose. Help me define that one. Yeah, so the best way to explain it is the way Disney taught us purpose. So we were, uh, they dropped us off in the back of Epcot on a hot summer day, and the park was crowded, and they took us in through these back secret gates, you know. They gave us these special pads, tablets, and they gave us 15 minutes to find as many of their employees going above and beyond their job descriptions we could find. If they were just doing their job, doing it well, that didn't count. They had to be going above and beyond their job description. And so we look back at it like they were nuts. You know, we're like, okay, 15 minutes, you can't cross the street in Epcot in the summer. And you want us to find, you know, as many as we can. But they were so confident that we could. And, and of course, we all did because they, because of purpose. And, and we'll tell you how that connects in just a minute. But we went into this, the French castle, and there was this bakery in the back, and it was dark, and it was supposed to be designed to be dark, no windows. And it was uh, not very crowded back there. And there was a kid standing there with some money in his hand, and he'd been sent by his family, who I'm sure were watching from a distance, to go get a, a snack, a treat. But he was confused, and it was dark, and it was, it was, there was the turnstile, or the, the, the rope and stanchion, and he didn't know how to navigate it all. So I watched this woman in the back whose job it was to put the croissants on the plate, you know, and remember, we're talking minimum wage worker, probably plastic apron, hairnet, just get the picture. This was not a Disney professional executive or anything. Mm-hmm. And she she stepped away from the counter from her station. She got down eye level with the little boy and she she asked, are you wanting to buy something? And then she walked through the the rope and stanchion with him all the way through, helped him count on his change, sent him off with a smile on his face. And then she went back to her station. So, you know, and of course we documented that. And, and on the bus back, it was story after story after story of people doing these amazing things above and beyond their job description. So they wouldn't tell us how they pull it off. Anybody who's been to Disney knows the reality I'm talking about. But then they told us when they got back that it, the, the purpose Disney's purpose statement is we create happiness. So everybody goes to work understanding, and this may be the key thing that your listeners take away from the whole podcast because it's Disney's wisdom, not mine. They, that, that primarily the goal of every person working at Disney World is to be on purpose 
and they're allowed to be off task anytime they want, as long as they're on purpose, right? And if we will, if we will understand our purpose as a company, we empower business advisors, right? My people have the freedom at any given moment to drop whatever task they're on as long as they're doing it in a greater service of the purpose of an advisor that might have been unanticipated at that moment, right? Whether it's handling an inbound customer support call or whether it's an escalated issue or somebody comes up to them in the hallway at Scaling New Heights. And sometimes they'll come up to our folks at Scaling New Heights and just crying because a family member has just been diagnosed with cancer. And they'll come to our people because yeah. they know that we care about them. And everybody working the show knows that they can radio immediately in and say, I'm going to be late. I've got something to do. And they can have that conversation with that person right then, right there. And we learned that from Disney. That's empowering. That's awesome. This has put a lot of clarity. And it's funny because I just recorded an episode on purpose, on purpose <laughs> with Ryan Lazanis. So this is a perfect piggyback to that. And, and it's amazing because I was just talking about the Disney University with Ron Baker. We were going to give that away as for the winner of the... Um, ABC tournament that we did, that whole bracket challenge. Instead, we did Hawaii because it seemed to be a more popular one. But I <laughs> loved the idea of the Disney University. I've been seriously looking at that. And now you've validated that. I may end up doing it. That's dope. That when is an amazing you... experience. And, they, and you have workshops on everything. This particular one happened to be on brand, and they folded mm -hmm. vision, mission, purpose into it. Oh, wow. That's so great. So Can I tell you another mission... great Disney is two story while Please we're on? Because yeah. it was a lot of fun. This one's particularly funny, too. Because I was resisting, the, I was dealing with a brand collision, right? Woodard is one of our most known brands, my last name, and Scaling New Heights is one of our most known brands. And we, it was Disney's admonition to me that we consolidate these. We, we, we shouldn't have as many brands as we do. Now, I haven't quite succeeded in calling the show WoodardCon yet, but we have taken about five or six different things we used to have, and we've brought them all underneath a, a, a single Woodard brand. I'm not going to tell you that it might not become Woodard Con one day. We'll see. Um, no, no time soon, but it, it, it would bring the whole brand together. Right. But I don't, I didn't want it to be about me. Right. Because if the business is only about me, it'll never be bigger than me, which is exactly. a, a, another saying from a thought leader that I follow. So that's the vision. The, yeah, yeah, so that's the vision piece. I wanted to be bigger than me. So I, I was sitting there talking with these folks at the Institute and telling them I will never name my company after my last name. Because if I name it after my last name, it will never be bigger than me. I will confine it with the brand. So as I'm sitting in Walt Disney World... I'm Which trying to tell. <laughs> I'm trying to tell them. I see the, irony, and, yeah. and the funny thing is, they they didn't tell me the obvious. They just stared at me with this smile on my face, thinking to themselves, "Give them a minute. Give them a minute." <laughs> so, I do want to tell everybody listening in: if you're scared about naming the company after your last name because you're scared about that, just remember all of the companies where they were named after their founder, and yet you don't think about the person you think about the company and that's that pushed awesome, me over really. the edge. Yeah. That's super important. Cause I've always been concerned about that. That's also why I haven't used my, I've, I've been, I've called myself the custodian at accounting high and I tried to put myself in the background of everything. Although it's like, if you listen to the show, I'm on every single episode and I'm, I'm there, but in my mind, I wanted to be the one that 
was behind it all because I didn't think I had that too much to offer. And I thought everybody else in the profession did. So I wanted other people to be the faces of the brand and faces, not just one, because I wanted, and that was the same concern I had. And then I realized the name of my firm is Paget, and that's somebody else's name, but that person's been dead for a while. And this is part of a franchise and it's a bigger system and Paget itself has the name, but there is nobody with the name of Paget at the headquarters, at the office, nobody else. And, and it took me a while to realize that, that it became, you know, the name itself didn't matter who it was or what it was or what that, it, now it stands for something else. And I guess that's the same thing, obviously, with yours too. Well, long after you're gone, if that's the name that's being used, you know, it, in a, yeah, that's like Disney. Like that, it's, or right there it, within our industry, it. Surgent. Surgent. Everybody thinks about an amazing tax professional organization. They do EA training. Well, that's a good no, last name. Then, if that was really somebody's last that, name, that Surgeon. was Jack Surgeon. Yeah, that yeah. was the founder. So, yeah, it 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 doesn't have to be about. Don't think you you know if that's a hurdle for you. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not limited by you. Or or you can use it to your advantage or use it as part of the part of the story. Now it's part of your story too. Yes, you um, have an origin story that goes with your name, yeah. Because Jack Surgent was an amazing tax expert. So it does tell a good story. So did you did you have any other names that you thought about using before you just went with Woodard for everything? Again, you know, you still have the two. You have Scaling New Heights and Woodard. Was there any other names that you were considering? No, no other name. It would have either been, it either would have fallen under one of those two things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And scaling new heights, is that now going to eventually fade away and you're just going to have it? No, no. I mean, well, conference course will never fade away, but there's an ongoing conversation in the company about what should we, will we, will we ever one day, you know, kind of bring it all into the one brand family. And that's, so I I can't tell you it's going to happen or not happen. I can just tell you that every company retreat, it comes back up and we have a lively debate about it. So there so is a gravitational a force. Frame that part of the conversation too. How many people do you have at the company now? And what's like, did you ever envision it being this size? So. Yeah. So yes, on the visioning of being the size, because I'm a entrepreneurial visionary leader. So I always thought, hey, let's build something. Of course, big for big sake, our growth for growth sake is the philosophy of a cancer cell. That's a Ron Baker quote. So I didn't want to grow just to grow, but I did want to scale the vision. So I've always thought, okay, well, this thing can you know, should be bigger, but it's not as big as people think. We only have 25 employees and we get all this done with 25, but I've got some people that are really, really high producing. Our team is high speed, low drag, as we used to say in the army. Oh, that's dope. And you were in the army. So I do feel like this conversation is just getting started. um, (laughs) Because I just dropped a whole chapter on you that we didn't talk about before. Yeah, no, uh, this is this. This is great. I mean, I'm going to have to have you back on because we've just touched. We just touched the surface of a lot of this stuff. And I like to go really deep, but only time permits for today. So leave our listeners with some parting wisdom that's, you know, sort of like what you've shared today. You've, You've shared a lot of wisdom here. Leave them with some parting wisdom. Yeah. So the wisdom that I would say, I mean, I gave you several like soft skills. I'm going to give you some hard skill deals is life is too short to be dealing with non-ideal clients. Life is too short to be dealing with non-ideal team members. If you own your business, you get to choose. And if you'll make the painful choices to carefully and systematically 
build your practice around only those ideal people you work with, clients and team members. Not only will your life be better, not only will your life be more peaceful and more productive and fulfilling, but more profitable as well. So set boundaries and don't tolerate the non-ideal. Don't deal with the non-ideal. Don't deal with the non-ideal. That's a rapper's going to have to like make a rhyme out of that. Yeah, that's good stuff. I don't know. You, you've dropped a lot of <laughs> good lines in here that I may be able to work into the rap. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I was going to wait until after our episode to write it and record it, but I had to get it done before. I, I, I just I needed to get it done so I could memorize it, re, you know, record a video and all that stuff. So this is going to be dope. I'm going to see you. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to yeah, be a lot of fun. About a month. We've about a less month. than a month, for sure. This is great. You've you've been a big, big thinker, a big vision in the industry, and I look forward to more conversations with you in the future. This is going to be dope. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, I'd love Appreciate to come back it. on and talk about anything you want to talk about. It's great to be here, yeah. Scotty. Start to fly. Yeah. You'll scale new heights. Would an OKR in a county Let's hat. scale new heights. Show it our baby. Transforming the world in accounting high. Show it our baby. Transforming the world. Show it our baby. Transforming the world. We gonna soar the sky. Get up on the floor and start to fly. We'll scale new heights. Woodard OKR in accounting high. Accounting high STL. Soar the sky. Get up off the floor and start to fly. We'll scale new heights. Woodard OKR in accounting. Yes. Yes, yes, profession leaders. Let's go hear from some fresh teachers. Amelia Earhart, Jeff Seabird, Jelaine St. Juice, Lisa Beaver, Denise Grove, Cat Sloan, Kath Gross, Kerr, Ronald B. Randall C. Kless, Brolin Wooders, Rock, Ball, Davis, Daryl, Deb Defer, Kreider, Heather, Davis, Bell, Heather, Satter, Lee, Joel, Kyle, Jen, Diamond, Sarah, Laidlaw, Michelle Long, Mike Michalowicz, Milky, Edstrom, Trish Tate, Luke Thick, Cole, Allison, Ball, Whit, Michelle, Vim, Gonzalez, Aguilar, Caldwell, Ernest Cook, and K. Parks, Nicholas, Christians, Esther, Effer, Carp. So many more presenters. Now let me in my verse right before the shit starts. Like, uh, we gonna soar the sky. Get up off the floor and start to fly. We'll scale new heights. Woodard OKR and accounting high. Accounting high STL. Soar the sky. Get up off the floor and start to fly. We'll scale new heights. Woodard OKR and accounting high. Go fly, baby. I'll play our outro and I'll peace out.